Welcome to Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. We decided to set on ourselves. We gave ourselves, I think it was 12 months. We said, hey, we're going to try this for 12 months and reassess and see where we're at. We hit the 12 months and kind of kept going. So that original that original vision, I, I think, was a lot of just how do we grow it to sustain both of us working in the business. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. That clip was from Jonathan Badger, one of the two guests for this episode. For this episode, we have both Shannon and Jonathan Badger of Badger and Badger LLC, an entrepreneurial CPA firm, and really a business consulting firm. I invited the Badgers on the show because I like to highlight entrepreneurial accountants as well, and they're definitely a good example of building your career to suit the life that you really want to lead. Not that they've arrived, so to speak, and in fact, you'll definitely hear in the interview that they certainly don't feel like they've built a perfect practice yet, but they have been able to make some really important decisions in the four short years or so that they've been in business that have helped form the the type of practice that suits their family needs and that they really enjoy working in each and every day. If you've ever thought of working on your own terms, so to speak, this is gonna be a very valuable episode for you as you start to solidify that idea for yourself. I hope you enjoyed listening to the interview as much as I did recording it. Shannon and Jonathan share some really good insights, but they also apparently have fun with the process, as I think you'll hear in the interview. Don't forget to visit us online as well for the complete show notes and links for this episode, as well as all our previous episodes. That website is www.whereaccountantsgo.com. Once again, that's whereaccountantsgo.com. Let's go ahead and get started. Here's Shannon Badger and Jonathan Badger of Badger and Badger LLC. Well, good morning. Thank you both for being on the show this morning. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your story with the audience today. Thank you for having us. We appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. We're happy to be here. Wonderful. Well, for the audience, we have two special guests on this episode, Shannon and Jonathan Badger of Badger and Badger LLC. I wanted to invite you both on the podcast for a few reasons, actually. You've been recommended, actually, by a couple of our former guests, but then also I try to make sure we're showcasing all of the different career options that are available to us accountants, and the entrepreneurial side is definitely one of those options. Plus, given that you're running the firm as a married couple, I figured that just adds a unique twist, and that'll be a really good story for a lot of our listeners as well. Before we get into all that, I'd like to start at the beginning, like we do with all our guests. 
how did you guys get interested in accounting as a potential career in the first place? I guess I'll play traffic cop a little bit. Shannon, why don't you, you tell us your story? How did you come to be interested in accounting? Sure. I always had an inclination toward math in high school. And uh, when I was going into college, I actually had no idea what I wanted to do. I originally thought I wanted to be an actuary. And so I was going to be a math major. And then once I learned a little bit more about that profession, I decided to switch to a business major. And I was just a general business major at a Texas A&M University. And then once I learned more about the accounting and finance program there and that you could actually get your degree in finance and accounting kind of at once, that just sort of seemed like a natural fit. But my, my original interest was actually more in finance probably and less than, less than accounting. <laughs> Interesting. But yeah. Okay. That's how I ended up majoring in that, but okay. it wasn't a very romantic answer, but it just sort of it made a lot of sense, and I liked the, the business side of it, really. Okay. So. Well, for the record, actually, you're the first person to mention actuarial science on the show. So really? <laughs> really? Anyway. Yeah. Well, my mom was like, do you really know what actuaries do? <laughs> She's like, I don't think you would like that. I think a lot less human interaction, probably, than more traditional accounting jobs. So once I realized that, then it was, how do you do something numbers related that has more interaction with others and more of a team environment. So accounting and finance just sort of made sense. Okay. Okay. Well, what happened between graduating college and starting the firm? What was your career like before becoming self-employed? I went to Ernst & Young after I graduated college, as many of us did. That was just sort of the, you know, you go to the big four and get some experience there. I was, I was actually there less than three years, so I didn't have it for very long. I loved it. And I actually really enjoyed audit. I liked the client interaction side of it. And that was what really turned me on to the consulting aspect of it, as far as being able to hop from client to client and multitask and just the client interaction side of it, I really enjoyed. And after that, I went to Kinder Morgan and was in their derivative and the technical accounting group there. And I had actually just transferred over to Enbridge when Jonathan had an opportunity to move to San Antonio, which is where I'm from. And we found out we were expecting our first child, Judah. So it just sort of made sense to move here. And then I took a position with Cesaro, was there for about three years. A lot of oil and gas background, mainly. And then to go into being self-employed, we had started to talk through me, maybe doing some consulting on the side. And I had a few friends of friends that I was helping as a hobby, mainly, outside of my full-time job. And then after... I had my second child, Ethan, I just had started to more seriously consider what kind of consulting for myself and working on my own might look like. And so we had made a commitment as a family to try and make that work. So the summer of 2014, I left my role there and started consulting on my own as an independent. So that's kind of what my journey was. And I'll let Jonathan chime in because his is different. A little bit different. Yep. Sure. What, what, how did you turn out to be an accountant, Jonathan? What turned you on to the, the career field? Well, mine was pretty practical, like Shannon's story. I was not anticipating going into accounting when I got into college. I knew I wanted to be something in the business school, and I was leaning more towards finance. But A&M offers a really unique master's program where over the course of five years, you get your undergraduate uh, in accounting, and then you can, you can select a master's program. So that allowed me to stay in school for, for five years with all my college friends who were going to be there for five years anyway and get my master's degree. So, so 
So it ended up being a, being a good deal while I was in school. But as far as how I ended up in accounting and, and with graduating with an accounting degree, it's not anything other than I just seemed to have a knack for it in school and it made sense to me. And so the, the classes came a little bit easier. Looking back, I don't necessarily think that's good career advice for somebody to just go with the path of least resistance, but that's kind of the decision that I made when I was in school was, well, I seem to be getting decent grades in accounting, so that must be what I need to be. But looking back, I I wouldn't say that that I went into school thinking that I was going to be an accountant when I came out. Interesting. Actually, we've had several guests on the show that chose accounting because they, they got into college and they just felt like they had a knack for it. It was going well for them. So, well, when we don't were in, feel bad. When we, <laughs> yeah, yeah. When we were in school, a lot of that Enron stuff was going down and in Houston. And so that was real-time stuff in our classes that we were, we were learning about accounting and the fraud involved. And, and it was really salacious stories and headlines that were coming out. And, and it seemed really interesting at the time while we were learning about all this stuff is in real time. And, and honestly, Sarbanes-Oxley was coming down uh, the legislative pipeline and there was just a supply-demand issue. There wasn't enough accountants, to be honest with you, with, with all the legislative changes. And so from a practical perspective, I looked at it in school and said, well, I'll probably always have a job with this major. And I'd gotten some career advice from some other people, some of my counselors in school, that they were just, they, there weren't enough accountants and that they couldn't hire them fast enough at that time. And so that was another one of the decisions that kind of pushed me into that arena was just the, the level of job security that I would have out of school pretty much right away. So, and honestly, it was, it was kind of fun being recruited in, in school by the big four public accounting firms that have some nice dinners and I go play some golf occasionally with some of the managing partners. And, and that was a good time. <laughs> was EY your first job out of college as well? It was. Yeah, actually, that's how Shannon and I met originally. We were at an intern conference in Orlando, Florida, and one of my best friends knew Shannon through a mutual class, and we actually met at a gym at the Orlando hotel there, and Shannon was with her friends working out, and I was with my buddy working out, and we got introduced, and the rest is history. Interesting. I wanted to ask about that. You know, we're not that kind of podcast, but I was curious. (laughs) (laughs) Well... You got a married couple on here, and it's funny, you know, Ernst and Young kind of brought us together. We probably wouldn't have met had we not been at that intern conference in Orlando for Ernst and Young. I had a, a senior manager that I worked with, and he was married to one of the partners, and apparently they were on an engagement together for, I don't know, a few years or something like that. And then, you know, they started dating, so then they got put on different accounts. But he said, well, I guess an audit, when you work that much, you either kill each other or you get married. So it was like... <laughs> but I actually think that was kind of a common thing. I mean, you have, you know, everyone works so much and you go to spend things together. I mean, we had multiple friends that kind of met their spouse at Ernst Young, so it's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's almost an extension of college, so that's interesting. It really was. And it's, a, it's kind of a neat environment. You've got a lot of young, smart people that are all hardworking and and an interesting incubator. Like Shannon said, we had multiple friends that all met kind of that first year out of school. And there are quite a few couples that got married out of that pool of people that first year out of school. So we got to be a part of several weddings from that class. (laughs) 
Well, Jonathan, why don't you take us up to when you, I guess, joined Shannon in the effort, you know, from, from EY. I mean, what are sure. some of the significant points in your career? And, and then how did that decision work for you guys to become Badger and Badger instead of just one Badger? <laughs> yeah, great question. So I would say between the two of us, between Shannon and I, I probably lean a little bit more on the entrepreneurial side. It's always been something that's been important to me. And so I've been on kind of a journey over the past 10 years that we've been married, bring her along on that journey with me. And honestly, I I had kind of had it for quite a while on the back of my head that it'd be kind of fun to start a firm together. We just kept getting a lot of friends that just said, hey, you guys are CPAs. Will you do my taxes? Or will you uh, do our outsourced accounting. And it seemed real natural because we were just getting a lot of, of referrals organically. And if you're looking at starting a business and people are trying to give you business, that might be a reason to start your own. And that, that seemed to be something that, that came naturally for Shannon and I just through our, our friends and family. And so to back up a little bit, once I left Ernst & Young, I joined an energy marketing company out of Houston and was there for about three years or so, and then got an opportunity to join an upstream energy company here in San Antonio. It was highly successful and kind of on the ground floor in a business development role and had a blast with that group. Got to do a lot of really great projects and was there for, gosh, all the way probably three and a half to four years, something like that on the, on the midstream and upstream side of that company. And then uh, got an interesting opportunity in 2014 to join a pure startup, upstream startup play that was pre-funded, pre-revenue, and we were going to go on a roadshow and try and raise some capital for our opportunity. Ended up, that did not work out. If you remember, 2014 was not a good year for oil prices. And then that actually was one of the reasons why Shannon and I decided to, to join each other. It was kind of out of a oil prices crashing in 2014, and Shannon was looking for some help. And we were about to hire some people. So I said, well, I'll come over and and help out with some of the business development and have been doing that with Shannon ever since. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Now, I have a question here because, so Shannon, you leave Tesoro around the time you're having your second child. This is in the summer of 2014. And Jonathan says, well, that's so stable. I'm going to go join a startup in 2014. (laughs) Well, after all, we only have four people in the family now that you know to feed. Exactly. <laughs> You're definitely not risk averse. Like, huh. yeah, it, it's funny because looking back, like, so I had actually I gave a notice in March. I stayed on for three months to transition, so I left in June. John actually left in July, I think, to go do a startup. But to be honest, that startup at the time that was February. So did you actually go do that before I I quit? Mm-hmm. So I, honestly, that position, I don't think it did not seem as risky at the time as what it really was, I think, because when we transitioned John into that role, I mean, crude was, I think, around 110 a barrel or something. And it was a startup, but they had funding. So it just didn't seem, it didn't seem as risky as it was. So in hindsight, looking back, it's almost comical because we essentially both had left our stable jobs within six months of each other. We had two kids and I was actually pregnant with our third so I had our third child that October, crude paint, and then John came and joined me in January. So we literally had three kids. We had left our, our jobs, steady jobs. Our two salary and jobs. Yeah. we were self-employed. And it was a lot of change all at once. Because <laughs> 2015, 2015 was a challenging year, to be honest. I mean, it was. Well, in any startup that you 
put together, there's, there's going to be that initial ramp up period. And what we had envisioned was, which was kind of our thought process, was Shannon would leave Tesoro. She'd do her thing for a year, year and a half and kind of see where that left us. And then I would come join her when the timing was right. And that got sped up by about, <laughs> a, <year? laughs> by, by about a year quicker than, than we thought it would. But honestly, there was just quite a bit of growth. You know, it's really interesting. When you're intentional as an entrepreneur about telling your friends, your family, your peer group that, hey, you're starting this venture, you know, we're, we're going out on our own, we're hanging our shingle. It's incredible the amount of response that you get compared to when you're just doing it kind of like as a hobby on the side. Mm-hmm. And so, so Mark, we literally, we, we sent out a Christmas letter that we were going to go do this in 2014. And we drummed up an incredible amount of just organic business from that one Christmas letter because people honestly didn't even know that we had left our jobs. We just hadn't told them. And so just being intentional as an entrepreneur about letting people know in your, in your sphere that you are going out on your own made a lot of sense for us. Mm-hmm. So you're saying you feel like people took you more seriously when they knew you had both quit your jobs and Absolutely. Yeah, okay. we that was our experience anyway. It, yeah, it was it's a hobby. I mean, people know that it's a hobby and I don't know, when you're working with a advisor, they were always going to be second fiddle to like our primary jobs and so I think at some point you just have to commit to it. I mean, I would recommend that you try and ramp it up some just out of financial responsibility for your family. Some people want to just leave and then have no business and then they put their family at risk, which I don't necessarily think is responsible either, but there has to be a balance of, you know, you ramp it up as much as you can before you commit to it fully. So there is a a point in time where you're almost working, it feels like two full-time jobs in the short term before you're able to actually leave. But I mean, I think it's a faith exercise too. And, you know, John and I are, we're Christians. And I think for us, it definitely was a big faith step as well. And we've just felt like that's what God wanted us to do. So I think when you feel like you're doing what you're called to do, it makes a lot of those decisions easier. So yeah, looking back, it was, it was a challenging year, but we felt like we were actually really happy because we felt like we were doing what we were supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. So. There you go. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's very important for some people to hear about the possibility of prospective clients looking at it as a hobby and, and the second fiddle comment. There's a lot of truth in that. I know that plans change over time. So I'm really curious, Jonathan, when you were looking at joining full-time, I'm sure there were discussions discussions of what the business could become. Back then, what was the vision for what you guys were trying to build? And, and how has that changed over time? Yeah, that's a, great, that's a great question. Because looking back, I guess we're now almost in our fourth year now. And to be honest with you, the first year, it was anybody with a, with a checkbook. <laughs> yeah. with anybody who was capable of paying my invoice, you were a client. Yeah, And the reality was that was just our situation as a family. Shannon and I had a discussion back in 2014. Well, does it make sense for me to join her at this stage of our firm? That's really just six months old. And it wasn't clear cut for us. We were growing, but it wasn't. Shannon was essentially had multiple hats in the organization. And she was pretty stretched. She was doing sales, business development, and also quite a bit of billable work. And then did it make sense for me to go look for another opportunity, an employment opportunity, or to come join her? So we decided to bet on ourselves. We gave ourselves, I think it was 12 months. We said, hey, we're going to try this for 12 months and reassess. 
and see where we're at. We hit the 12 months and, and kind of kept going. So that original vision, I, I think, was a lot of just how do we grow it to sustain both of us working in the business. So it's really a lack of vision, to be honest. <laughs> That's was, exactly right. And I, and I think we paid for that later. So I think at the initial, the temptation is to take any and all work that comes your way at the beginning. And part of that's necessity because you you know you need to keep your lights on. But now that we've been in business longer, we're actually spending a lot more time on honing in really on what our, our niche is and sticking to that. So there was, a, there was a point in time where we had all different kinds of clients. I mean, we had big, we had small, we had manufacturing, we had service, we had construction. I mean, it's all over the place. And I think you do reach a point where you cannot be a trusted advisor and a true trusted advisor and an advocate for every industry and for every client under the sun. And so initially when you have, you know, 30, 40 clients, then that's, it's fine. But then once you have 400 clients, we actually ended up, we had over 400 clients, some of which were individual tax returns all the way up through like our business clients that we do consulting for on a monthly basis. I mean, it was all over the place. And so this fall actually has been our first really like vision recasting that we've done as a firm Mm -hmm. as far as, you know, what do we do really well? What clients do we love working with? And really honing in on on what that looks like. But uh, I would say it really took us three years to where we could, we had the revenue to be more selective and really niche it down. So that's an adjustment and a process we're actually in the middle of. So it was a really good question. And also I would say when we started out, I don't think Shannon and I, we'd worked on some pretty amazing teams, but we had never been responsible, I wouldn't say, to putting that team together. So the importance early on of finding the right employees for the stage that you're in is so, so, so crucial. When there's four or five people in your firm and then you miss on a hire, you know, that's that's 25% of your business that's not the right person. And so one of the biggest pieces of advice that I can things that I would have done differently is I would have slowed down. I would have been more proactive about the hiring, searching and the process. What we did early on was we would wait until we were literally drowning. And then we'd say, hey, we really should hire somebody. And then we would hire somebody within a week, which is just a ridiculous process, as you know. And oftentimes that process didn't work out for us. And so we, we had to reassess how we put our teams together because that that at the end of the day as a firm you're you're only as good as the team that, that, that you're on and so we, we really put a lot of time and emphasis into getting the right people on our bus okay yeah i understand what you're saying about as shannon put it the lack of vision in the beginning but but i think there's also a reality that bills have to be paid and there's a certain <laughs> amount of searching for really what you do want to be you know while you're working to to pay the bills I mean, do, do you think there is anything you would have done differently in the beginning that would be realistic? Because I know there are people that will listen to this that might be considering starting their own practice as well. I mean, do you think it could have been any different or was that just what needed to happen? A few things, just, I guess, practical. It's easy to say in hindsight, right? But sure. we didn't raise our prices fast enough. We had such a demand for work that we, I think we should have raised our prices faster. Yeah, another thing that comes to mind is when I talk about the team that, that you have, we're in a public accounting industry. And so having people on your team that understand how public accounting firms work, how the economics of an accounting firm work is 
Now that that might sound fundamental, but it's a different culture it's, than it's just, industry. That's exactly right. So we're not a not necessarily hiring one person to work on one account. We're hiring one person to work on ten accounts. It's just a different focus. If that makes sense. We had a friend. We were a colleague. We were joking because you want people to learn. You want them to have time to really work through something. And it's like we really want you to have time to really learn this concept, but we want you to do it. But we need you to do it fast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, because the game we're in is, you know, we're betting that we can basically do it faster and better than an internal person. So I think, too, just we've hired people that have the right skill sets, but they don't have the attitude of like a consultant. But I think it goes back to our your hiring process. You have to put that in place and you can't hire out of like haste. That's one thing I think very tangible that we would have done differently. Now we actually have a, a process. This is what the post looks like. This is a small action they have to do from the post. We do personality assessment, we do a skills test assessment and things like that. And we have a process and we stick to the process. Whereas before, sometimes we were hiring more out of a a need or an urgency. So we hired too quickly and made mistakes in that area. We actually hired somebody who walked in the exact day that we were talking about. We need to hire somebody. And I I think they just said that they they knew the word QuickBooks. And so we said, (laughs) well, you're hired. It wasn't that (laughs) <laughs> it was almost that bad, not quite, you know, like it, it just was more reactive. I would just say more reactive than proactive. And then that is just detrimental, you know, when you just, you don't look up until you're completely underwater and then you're hiring way too fast. And then you actually spend more time having high turnover than if you would have just done it right the first time. So I think that that was a really painful lesson in the last few years, for sure. One of the things also that we have, that has grown in our sphere in terms of priorities is you asked about our original vision. And as you're growing a firm, this might sound typical, but it's finding those few people who are really champions for your firm and like what your cause and your service and really developing those key relationships. That might only be five or six people, but if you've got those key relationships in place, that's the best way as opposed to to growing your business, as a, in, in our opinion, as opposed to worrying about websites or search engine uh, optimization or networking events and more networking events and <laughs> yeah you know we, we did an assessment mark and it was really interesting we went back through our top 100 clients in terms of like revenue for our firm on an annual basis and we just went through and we said okay well how did this person come to us we had all that information and and i would say like over 70 percent of those clients came from like five people yeah five relationships Five relationships. Um, probably make up for like 60 or 70% of our revenue, if you really think about it. People that are referring and that are ambassadors of us. And so that was really eye-opening. And it's like, you know, we should be just fostering these handful of relationships instead of trying to cast this like wide net where we know lots of people in the community. Well, you know, let's go deeper with a few significant relationships. So that's been good. Not only that, but those people are clients of ours. And so as we continue to do a good job for them consistently and exceed their expectations. One, they're typically an ideal client for us in terms of revenue size and in terms of number of employees. And those type of people tend to run in the same circles. And so we're able to get a lot of really warm referrals and opportunities to grow our business that way, just because we continue to do an excellent job for those people that we're working with. That's a really good insight. 70% from five relationships. That's amazing. I mean, line up your revenue for a year and go through like your top 10 clients and just look where they came from. I mean, it was mind-blowing for us. If you really Mm -hmm. think, 
because even some of us like, oh, well, this came from this person, but that was a friend of so-and-so. And that, and so really the, the initial center of where it all came from was from like a handful of people. And so we actually don't do really any marketing or advertising. Mm -hmm. We actually just continue to foster like those top 10 relationships that are really important. Mm -hmm. Saves us a lot of time and effort spinning our wheels around marketing too, which is nice. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. Wow. (laughs) There's so many things I'd like to delve into there. But one thing I I definitely wanted to ask you guys, because I'm sure this is going to be on people's minds. I mean, any advice for running a firm as a married couple? (laughs) You know, Shannon and I, it works really well for us because, well, for a couple of reasons. One, we have different skill sets that we bring to our partnership as a business. And I think we each recognize the hats that that person wears. And so we kind of tend to defer decision-making. We're we're still unified in the decision-making we do, but we tend to defer to the expertise of that individual. So for instance, if it's a, we're going to make a strategic change in in the type of tax clients we're going to bring on, well, that's something that's probably going to come from from Shannon because she's effectively over our tax department. And so we work really well because I think we respect each other and the, and the skills that we each bring to the business. And I would say one of the things that we don't do a great job of that we've continued to work on is leaving work at work. Mm-hmm. And it's real easy to take it home with you, always be obsessing about it. There's always more work to do. And then you pretty soon bring your business partnership into the home. And I think that would be the biggest thing is to figure out what those boundaries look like if there was a married couple thinking about going into business with each other is, is it's important to be married at home and sometimes leave business at work. Yeah. I would say defined roles and responsibilities are really crucial for any organization that really feel like once you actually have employees, the temptation is to assume that everyone knows what their role is and the expectations of that role. But we had to kind of revisit the functional areas of our business, like who wears that hat and where the ownership is. And then once you have clarity around that, I think it makes it really easy to work together. But yeah, to John's point, we actually really enjoy, we enjoy being self-employed and we enjoy working. So the temptation, because when we're talking about it at home, it's usually because we're excited about something. Like it's a positive conversation, mm-hmm. but it can actually morph to where that's, you know, all you talk about. And so we've talked through, you know, what is having that transition time look like between work and home, like, is that going for a walk? Is that something just where, you know, you're sort of transitioning into now we're going to go be husband, wife, mommy, and daddy, and we're going to leave the office at the office. And so that's been a struggle that I think we're working through, but overall, we've really enjoyed it. Like we actually get to see each other and spend time together during the day, which has been fun and awesome. We can go get lunch and breakfast once in a while. When we used to work at different businesses, we didn't really get to do that. So there's lots of blessing that comes with it as well. Different challenges, but lots of positive as well. Okay. And at the end of the day, if, if you're at an impasse, you just defer to your wife. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Uh, that, tends to, that tends to work out okay for me. I would say, too, though, I mean, you really have to have a lot of grace and just patience and, and respect for one another. So I think if you're able to communicate with, with respect and love and for one another, I mean, you have the same end goal. So it really isn't as hard. So, you know, it's interesting when people think it's like so hard, but it's like, well, if you're respectful and kind to one another, it really shouldn't be so bad if you have clear goals and responsibilities. So I don't know. We haven't really found it to be as challenging as, as you might think. Mm-hmm. Okay. But we actually, you know, I, we really enjoy each other's company. So that's a good thing. That is a good thing. <laughs> 
That is a good thing. I, I think a key there, too, is you both enjoy what you're doing, the, the work itself, yeah. even. Yeah. Absolutely. That's true. Yeah. Absolutely. We, we enjoy coming to work. There's new challenges every day. And, and Shannon and I, when we wake up in the morning, we get to work with our clients, our startups, the entrepreneurs that we work with. And it, it's exciting work for us. And we, we enjoy discussing together solutions and, and how we can help our clients continue to grow and succeed. Well, I want to be respectful of y'all's time. I want to get to the final questions because there's three questions that I, I end every podcast with. It gives us some consistency. I'm going to alter the first one a little bit because so often the answer is the day I get married and both of y'all are on the phone. So <laughs> what has been your proudest moment? And, and if you could, your, professionally your proudest moment, either in the business or, or in, your, in your professional life. For me, it was a couple of things. One, one for me personally was graduating from college. That was one of the proudest moments for me, but also having the courage to uh, bet on ourselves to start this firm. It was not an easy decision for us. In fact, if you're looking for a better choice financially, like maybe this would not be the best thing to do, but it's been a challenge for us, but I think we're figuring it out every day and at the end of the day, we bet on ourselves. And so I don't know if that's the best answer, but we bet on ourselves and we're continuing to bet on ourselves every day. And so I'm proud that we chose to do that. For what me, about- we, we were at a place financially this year where we could take our whole team to um, a training. It was called a Global Leadership Summit. And that was a goal when we first started was in the next two years, we want to be able to financially as a firm be able to do a training like that as a team together. And so this year we were able to do that. We took about eight to 10 team members, you know, including we have a few part-timers and we were all able to go to the Global Leadership Summit together. And so that was really something that I was proud of. And it was just nice to be able to do as a team. I think there's certain things you have in your mind that's like, well, when I'm like a real business later, like we can, <laughs> we can do continuing education and we can do training, we can do things like that. And for me personally, like I've had opportunities to, I think, be a bigger change agent in the world in general than I would have in my prior role. So it's been more fulfilling for me personally. I've had opportunity to pray with clients who had a death of a family member. I've had the opportunity to help employees going through a hardship. I've had just opportunities that I wouldn't have had otherwise. So for me personally, that's been a huge blessing and something that I've been proud of. But I think in that sense, it's just more of a confirmation that we are where we're supposed to be. But those are just encouraging things along the way. That is a good feeling. It really is. Well, at least one of you, I'd like an answer to the next one. If, if you both have something that comes to mind, that would be great. But please tell us about a mistake you've made and what you learned from it, of course. But frankly, the bigger, the better. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like, so many I've had a few. Yeah, you know, I feel like we joke that we're like sick of learning lessons all the time. It would just be nice if it would go well. So one thing that we do, we do outsourced accounting. And so we have a fixed fee model where it's a, essentially a retainer for our team. And we handle all of your accounting back office work, which is really great in theory. And for a lot of our clients, it works really well. But we've had one or two contracts where we just way got it wrong and we scoped it poorly and we caught it too late. And so we've had a few where they were just a bust. Yeah, just it was like, oh my gosh, like, I feel like we're paying for like the privilege of doing this person's accounting work because it was so poorly scoped and we didn't catch it soon enough because we're so busy doing the work. You look up two months later and you're like, whoa, what happened here? And so we've had a few of those, which aren't 
as funny, but it's just strategic. So we switched now to hourly billing for the first 60 days, and then we moved to a retainer. But as far as financially, that's been one of the biggest mistakes because we had one or two contracts that were severely, severely mispriced. It sounds like, Mark, that we need to fire that business development guy, whoever he is. Who did that? <laughs> Who did that contract? That was a bad contract. No. So my, mine's a little bit funnier and from a long time ago. So we're Shannon and I, you know, it's funny. The first year out of school, we were dating, and we just would study for the CPA exam that for like a whole year together, which I'm pretty sure is, I, I don't even know how I would have passed that had I not had with all my friends doing their own thing. I don't know if I would have passed it without Shannon, the two of us studying all, all year together. But, you know, we're both auditors at Ernst & Young. And I just honestly thought that it would be okay to blow off studying for the audit portion of the CPA exam. And I didn't spend even an hour studying for it. I just figured that it would be an easy pass. And I definitely did not pass the audit portion of the CPA exam the first time I took it. So... That was probably the biggest mistake. One of the, one of the biggest mistakes that comes to mind is kind of a funny story. So I had to retake audit part of the CPA. <laughs> and we've had a few, you know, you send the email to the wrong person or you copy someone, the wrong person, like silly stuff like that, where you're just like, oh my gosh, like what yeah. happened there? But, you know, I can't think of anything like super hilarious. But <laughs> So if you're, young, so if, you're, if you're young and you're in the process of studying for your CPA exam, you should definitely make sure you prepare adequately because it is a challenging exam. There you go. Actually, I think there's some lessons in, in both of those stories. I'm assuming Shannon passed the exam first then. You know what? I think Jonathan beat me, actually. I think he passed first. I had to retake tax twice. <laughs> <laughs> so so send, us your, send us your tax work, Mark. <laughs> I, sense I tried to take it once, I think, during busy season for audit, which was poor planning on my part. That but, is hilarious. Um, yeah, so... I had to retake tax and John had to retake audit. So he actually, he finished like one quarter before I did. Oh, man. <laughs> well, well, the good news is. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, yeah, we definitely got it passed though. So that, that's the good thing. You actually had a question you wanted us to answer from earlier, Mark, and I wanted to kind of come back to it. You said, what if anything would we have done differently or if we could go back in time and give our younger self a piece of advice? Shannon and I, we were talking about this and, it's so easy sometimes to, when you're starting out, you get excited about seeing the revenue growth, right? You're entrepreneurial, you're growth oriented. That's how you think. You think about scaling and growing and, and that's, that's what most entrepreneurs are wired. But I would say, make sure that every month you're focusing on your profitability mm-hmm. as a firm and less on the revenue growth. And so we spent years really focusing on, well, we're growing a practice, we're growing a practice. And and we did not spend nearly enough time zeroing in on, on the profitability as a firm. So that would be one of our biggest mistakes that I would say be laser focused as a startup on that bottom line. Yeah. It's tending to invest in systems and processes and you need to do that too. But you know, it's like, oh, I'm growing so fast. I need to hire more. Oh, I'm growing so fast. I need a, a fancy uh, workflow system. And a smart vault and, you know, all, and you do need all that stuff eventually, but you can't commit to that as, as it puts your profit at risk because there's just a balance there. And so we've actually been more laser focused on profit and scaling back expenses as much as possible. Whereas at the beginning, it was all focused on top line revenue and, and scaling. And so we're kind of reining that in. Hmm. 
Thank you. No, that's that's some that's some great advice. That is some great advice. Well, I don't know if you have anything to add to that at this point, but I am curious for either one of you or both, what is the best advice that you guys have ever received? And and then we'll go ahead and close it down. Sure. We're actually, we're plugged into a, like a business owner accountability group. And one thing that they really work with us on is your faith and your mission on this earth, whether you're in your business or at home or wherever that looks like for you, it's all, it's all interrelated. So the advice that I would give is to get away from that mentality of like that your work and your personal life is all separate all the time because mm-hmm. your mission and your calling, you know, on this earth is it's the same in work as it is at home. And just to, you know, we've been challenged with, you know, what does it look like to incorporate faith in the workplace as far as, you know, how we run our business and how we minister to others. You know, we do do a lot of nonprofit accounting work and things like that. And, and so I think we've really been challenged to combine the two a lot more, you know, like as, a, as Christians specifically, you know, what does that look like as a business owner to live out your faith in a workplace, you know, and have a, a great product and minister to those around you and run your business in accordance with that. So for me, if someone's thinking about starting a business, you know, I would just challenge them to really pray about it. And if that's what you feel like you're called to do, like take steps to do it because it's, it's absolutely worth it. And to piggyback off of that comment, the advice that I received is, is similar in that vein. It's We've all been given a helping hand at some point along the way. And so to really make charity and significant part of what you're doing on a daily basis, to be thankful for the blessings that we have on a daily basis, and, and they're so numerous. And so when you, when you operate on a daily basis with gratitude and with thankfulness and with this charity, you're going to live a really successful life. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you both. I mean, you guys have done a wonderful job of sharing some good business advice, but particularly you know, here at the end, and actually all, all the way throughout, some good advice on life. So thank you very much. I know this episode is going to be very valuable to the audience. Well, thank you for having us, Mark. Yeah, we really appreciate you uh, giving us the opportunity to share. No problem. Well, for our audience, this has been another episode of Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. If you haven't yet visited our home website, please do so. You can find links to certification information, such as, of course, the CPA certification, as well as show notes for each and every episode, including this one. That website is www.whereaccountantsgo.com. That's whereaccountantsgo.com. And on that note, Shannon and Jonathan, any final thoughts or words of wisdom for the audience? You know, if anyone ever wants to reach out or or discuss further, we'd be happy to. We love, you know, meeting with people that are thinking about starting their business and we're pretty transparent. So we'll, we'll share all the, the good, the bad and the ugly and anyone that just wants someone to talk to, we'd be happy to talk through that with them. Where can they find you online? Our website is www.badgercpa.com and both of our emails, my email is shannon.badger at badgercpa.com and Jonathan's is jonathan.badger at badgercpa.com. But we mean it. Anybody that wants to stop by for coffee or talk through what they're thinking, we'd be happy to have that conversation. So Wonderful. If they stop in, they may just get hired on the spot. I'm yeah, sure. exactly. That's exactly right. We're always hiring good people. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you again to you guys, and thank you to the audience for joining us. We'll see everybody next week. There's more to come. <laughs>